0: What is this life for? What is this life for? What is this life for anyway? Lost in all the questions of life, strange and secret
1: ways. Whoa, welcome again to Living Room Therapy. Today, Jacqueline, Reed, and Paul are talking to actor, director, producer, comic book author, and diner manager, Joey. He's quite the Renaissance man. Sounds like they're starting. Go on in.
2: All right, welcome everyone.
3: Another week. We're back in the living room. We've got a new guest, Joey. Oh,
2: so we got Joey. We've settled that. Who's who are the other three of us?
3: I'm Jacqueline. I'm the beautiful one.
2: Paul, which one are you?
0: I don't remember. (laughs) You can all be the beautiful one.
2: I'm Reed. I'm the loose cannon.
3: All right, we caught two beauties, a loose cannon, and I don't know.
2: And we are here to uh, have fun, to entertain, to not give uh, therapeutic advice. If anyone out there is uh, needing such advice, such help, such therapy, they should consult their therapist.
3: Well said. Absolutely. All
2: right. How do you two know each other? J and J?
3: We met, what, was, what year was that? 2000 and? Uh, I think it was 17.
1: I know I moved to Seattle in 16. I think it was about a year before we met. But yeah. Probably 2017, I think.
3: Yeah, I was on Open Path. Therapists go on there, and if they want to have a lower scale, it's like a 30 to $50 payment. He found me on there, and so, yeah. And then we ended up seeing each other for a couple years. Mm-hmm. Was it that, that long?
1: Yeah, I think it was about two years.
2: How did she do?
1: <laughs> Pretty fantastic. <laughs> uh,
2: I'm not surprised. Life
1: has changed forever since I met Jacqueline, so. All right. here.
2: Tell us about your life, Jojo.
1: Sure. So I live in Kansas, came from a small town down south. I grew up struggling with like depression and anxiety and everything. And around 25, I was starting to get like really bad symptoms. It was all going kind of downhill. And I decided that he needed a life change. And I just picked up and moved to Seattle, because I always wanted to go. And uh didn't turn out as great as I hoped, but one of my main goals going up there was to seek therapy, just because I knew I needed it, but I kept talking myself out of it. And surprisingly, out of all the goals I had set, that was probably the only one that actually came through. <laughs> it was uh, kind of the best one. As rough as it was when I moved up there, I'm happy it happened.
3: Was that the first time you'd been in therapy?
1: Uh, I'd been once before uh, with a therapist in Wichita, but she was really like a spiritual therapist. And the method she tried, I was kind of cynical at the time, so I didn't really connect. And I just like kind of blew it off. I tried it for like, I think about six weeks. And I was like, yeah, this is going nowhere.
2: What was her method?
1: (sighs) What was it called? She tried that vibration one where you have like... Two things vibrating in each hand, and it alternates between the two. I can't remember what that's called. EMDR, yeah. Yeah, EMDR. We did a lot of, like, imaginative play, and I didn't really understand any of it. And with my mind, I kind of, if I don't understand it or I don't kind of see where it's going, I just block it out. So I kind of blame my cynicism a bit (laughs) for that first attempt. When I went to see Jacqueline, like, I was at my wits' end, and I was willing to try anything. That was kind of the best mindset to have, I guess.
2: Yeah, being ready to change is huge. What 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 was uh, Jacqueline's method?
1: Most of it was, I think it was kind of psychotherapy, mostly just kind of talking through everything. And that's the major part I remember, unless I'm missing something. No, I remember
3: just the relationship. I, I remember us just forming a relationship with one another. And I felt like that is, is so important. I mean, for, for both of us, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't remember exactly the things that I would... Like, there were homework stuff. I, I like <laughs> giving yeah. homework or... Yeah, because I remember you talking about some, like, social anxiety things, but...
1: Yeah, I know we just mostly just talked yeah. and hung out and uh, recommended books to one another and uh, shared articles, and uh, that's kind of, I guess, what I was looking for, because I just needed somebody to kind of almost open up my mind to and just kind of sort shit out, but... Uh,
3: I guess what I saw at times was like you not believing in yourself. And like the the ways that you saw yourself were so vastly different from how I saw you. So it was like heartbreaking at times. At the same time, I felt that was what I wanted was to show you what I saw. Mm -hmm. And that so that was sort of my, you know, um, I don't want to say goal, but it was just kind of the care that I developed, like that I could give that to you to give to yourself
1: yeah and that's definitely something that stuck with me never had a lot of like self-confidence I never kind of believed in what I was doing I'd always like undermine myself and kind of get in my own way a lot of our sessions it was mostly just me kind of shitting on myself and you being that person to be like hey like you're just being really hard on yourself and I'm like oh isn't that how everybody like thinks? <laughs> <laughs> like, don't they just beat themselves to a pulp until they start doing stuff? And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> Some that's, people do. That's not how you do. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, a lot of us do.
1: A lot of times I even find myself saying that to myself. Whenever I start falling into that cycle again, I'll be like, hey, man, like you're just being really hard on yourself. Like, Let up. <laughs> like, You wouldn't have these expectations of anybody else. She was kind of that voice for me where... I didn't have it myself, just that kind of voice of compassion. Like, self-compassion has become, like, my mantra now. Mm. And something i preach preached to everybody, like, you know, be kind to yourself. Treat yourself like you were somebody else. Be your own friend. It's weird, because I kind of know it now, but when I see it in other people, like, they have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm like, yeah, like, be cool to yourself. <laughs> That's excellent.
2: Wow, so you're paying it forward.
1: Yeah, that's uh, actually what I find myself doing a lot is just trying to share what I learned with other people, especially back here in Kansas. I see that mentality that I was in a lot where people just kind of beat themselves up until they keep pushing and pushing and they eventually just burn out. I just kind of step in. I'm like, hey, like, calm down.
0: Good advice. Self-acceptance and self-compassion is so important. There's actually a book I think called The Self- self-acceptance project it's written by about a dozen psychotherapist authors and each one took a chapter and gave their own take on it
3: and you read it paul
0: yeah i did i i read it pretty recently in the last six months and it was really good i actually bought it for a friend of mine who's pretty hard on herself uh, and gave it to her as a christmas present
2: after you read it first? no i actually
0: i actually read it online first and i got her a hard copy Gotcha. So I borrow most of my books uh, using the Libby app from the King County Library, which make a quick plug for them. Yeah, I got I got to do that.
3: So tell me a little bit more about that book, Paul. Was there anything in particular like that you took away from it? or
0: Well, it was really interesting because each therapist had their own take on what self-acceptance looked like. Mm. Uh, some of them would uh, talk to very much, like Joey was talking about, was uh, to, would you talk to your friend that way?
3: Mm.
0: Uh, to really... Be a friend to yourself. Other ones were just accepting the fact that part of being human is, uh, having flaws and accepting that you can't change everything about your personality. Sometimes that's who you are. You know, it sort of goes back to the serer- uh, serenity prayer too, as well. Mm. Knowing what you can change and what you can't change and knowing what's reasonable to change about yourself and then accepting yourself as you are. There's some gifts that you were given that you can't change.
3: That's right. I find that a lot. And I, I probably am guilty of it and have been in my own life. But I see that most with clients now. It's like, there's this thing that I don't like. And can you just fix it? The way to fix it is to accept it. Um, so then you're not pushing so hard against whatever this thing is. And
2: That is so common. Exactly what Joey said. Oh, isn't isn't this what you're supposed to do? Is just completely shit on yourself until you you force yourself. It makes you wonder, you know, who taught them that.
0: So going back to the self-acceptance, it's actually 19 different authors. And there's a couple names that you'd probably recognize. Uh, Tara Branch is is the person who's in the first chapter.
3: Mm. Can I just pause and talk about her for just...
0: Please do. Now, is it
2: Branch or Brock? It's Brock.
0: It's Brock, sorry.
3: I don't okay, have my glasses
0: on.
2: <laughs> okay.
3: She is one of the greatest resources there is. I mean, if you go to Isn't her she... web- yeah, her website. I mean, yes. I just turned on a client to her the other day who struggles with sleep and is working on meditation stuff and mm-hmm. The way in which she speaks, what she – I mean, the compassion. I mean, talk about compassion. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. And just how she she is basically all the resources, all her talks are available for free. Tara Brock. I mean, it's .com. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, go yeah. ahead, Paul.
0: Then there's Harville Hendricks does a, a section too. Uh, Sharon Salzberg. Mm. It, anyway, it was really good. Each one had their own different uh, take on it.
2: So we've been talking about those the broad learnings that we get from our teachers, from the the authors, the therapists, the mentors, and the tidbits that just stick with us, the one thing, the one or two things, the moments that we have. We heard that that with you and Jacqueline, the relationship was important. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my experience, relationship, is about acceptance we find ourselves not accepting ourselves just out of habit or because we we think that it would be um egotistical to accept ourselves and then we find somebody else who doesn't even know us accepting us just because we're on the planet and it just changes everything one line from a therapist i had uh who said stop deprecating yourself even if it seems like a joke it's not helping. It's, it might be funny, but it's also tragic. And so I did stop, I, I trusted him and I stopped. There's an, I'll, I'll drop another name, Joanne Jones, another wonderful therapist on the east side here. She, she now strictly works from home. She found out that she doesn't need a lease to do good work. But she said, it's okay to show your sadness. I knew it was okay to feel sad because I was so great at it, but but to show it, to express it with tears, uh, especially in front of a, a witness. That being seen
1: part of it like kind of makes it more real because like, I knew what I was struggling with. I had worked so hard up until that point to make sure nobody else knew about it. Yeah. And then yeah. when I was at that breaking point, it's like I just got to let people know <laughs> that, you know, I feel kind of shitty <laughs> right. all the time. And uh-huh. I mean, I told even family members like after my experiences with therapy and they're like, "Oh, we just we didn't know." <laughs> it's like, "Oh, shit." I mean, I thought I was wearing it like everywhere, but yeah. all right. Letting yourself feel it and like express it. Like it doesn't seem like a lot, but it changes the whole game.
0: Most people are pretty focused on themselves. A lot of times they may or may not notice, or, and they certainly may, not, may or may not raise the issue even if they do notice. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who just sort of put on their persona or their mask, and there's also you know, a lot of parents and, and relatives are in denial. They don't want to believe that their child is depressed or their niece or nephew, You know, and so they just pretend like it doesn't exist and hope it goes away. It's the most basic defense mechanism.
3: Well, I think what Joey said is that, like, you can act a certain way and nobody knows. Like, your close friends and family, there's no way to tell. I mean, especially for a lot of people, they just, like, stuff it down somewhere and it's a private thing.
1: And you just kind of hope one day someone will be like,
3: hey, you look really depressed.
1: (laughs) How are you? And, like, you'd, you'd wish that you could just break open and be like, oh, finally, somebody sees it. But I've had people do that before. I'd be like, no, I'm fine. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit. There was my moment.
2: And I would propose that they're grateful that you haven't told them anything. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we, we, we protect ourselves from other people's pain. That's why we're so willing to accept those personas of doing all right. That is true. But that's another thing we can pay forward is to ask someone how you doing and they say fine and you go, No really. I'm I really care. I wanna know. You can tell me.
1: It's actually something I learned from Jacqueline when we talked about vulnerability and learning how to be vulnerable. Again, to me it sounded super simple, but I had no idea how to really do it. Just to kinda open yourself emotionally to people. I'm in a manager position, but like Like, that's something I do even every day at work. Like, we have a lot of people that kind of have a lot of shit on their plate. I get to the point where I'm like, hey, man, like, how is everything going? And they're like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. I'm like, no, like, really? Like, (laughs) (laughs) what's the matter? You can tell me anything off the record, whatever. And, man, people really love to talk about themselves. I kind of love hearing about it because I know they feel better talking about it. I don't know. It's kind of magical just to have that kind of weird, vulnerable moment throughout your day. Yeah, it is. it's beautiful. Yeah. And it, it just kind of changes my perspective day to day. I try to see those opportunities everywhere and just be like, hey, like who in my everyday life can I be that shoulder to cry on for like a minute? And then because that like just shift in perspective is what I learned that like can change your life. Just. I don't know, hmm. that one compassionate person can just...
3: It's a ripple effect. I mean, it, it really is. And like yeah. when you talk, I mean, I just think, like, what it, What an important person just you are in what you're doing and you're just a, a simple day, you know? Just vulnerable and inviting people in that space. Like, I don't know, like, it gives me chills. I think it's a such a gift to give the world. And it's so simple.
1: Yeah, it's... It's strange how simple it is, but, like, how much nobody really does it. <laughs> it's And I love it. Like, I love hearing people unload about themselves. It's nice because, like, you're learning about them, and I don't know what it's like to be a therapist, but that's kind of how I imagine a therapist to be, where you start seeing those patterns, and you're like, ah, like, hey, I, underst- I kind of get what you're going through, or, like, I've seen this before, or... And, I mean, it's also a nice way to not feel as alone, where you're like, ah... I felt that,
2: too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you don't have to be a gifted therapist like Jacqueline to make a huge <laughs> difference to people. To, for them to feel, I'm heard and I'm seen, that is mind-blowing to people. It changes everything. That movie Avatar, where I think the greeting is, I see you...
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know that? Wow! What a what a nice way to say hello. Oh man! What do you do? You sound like a, a very special manager, Joe.
1: Oh, I work at a restaurant.
2: <laughs> yeah. What kind of restaurant?
1: Oh, just a diner. It's uh Hey,
2: wait a second! Don't say just a diner. Oh, yeah. so- <laughs> <A diner. laughs> we love Not
1: diners. a diner. We Not a very good diner. But it pays the bill. But uh, oh, man. but that's something too I mean it's not a great job, but like the people are like kind of fascinating and that's kind of the part of it that I love going back to is like the people I work with. But yeah, I just work at a diner.
0: <laughs> well, we've had fascinating conversations at diners, and we've also done all sorts of things at diners. So that's true. Oh,
3: yeah, some of our best memories are from diners. Diners
2: are—they are, reserve little spaces in our hearts. Mm-hmm. So please don't don't underestimate the this power of it. Yeah,
3: so.
2: exactly. Yeah, that's true.
1: That's true.
2: What's today's blue plate special?
1: Um, I don't think they actually do blue plate specials where I'm at. Like, it's just the same stuff every day.
2: Okay, what do you recommend?
1: Uh, eggs, bacon, toast, and hash browns.
0: Mm. Oh. I'm getting hungry, and I'm supposed to be intermittent fasting. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> hey,
2: one meal a day, Paul. You can have some hash browns.
0: <laughs> I already ate today is the problem.
2: That's okay. We're, we're 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 hitting the road tomorrow. So we got um, okay Topeka. We've got Kansas City, and we've got uh, wait wait. There's one other. There's one other town in Kansas. Uh, I'm le- what am I leaving out? The uh, capital, right? No, you
1: said Topeka. Uh, Wichita is the one you're missing. Wichita. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Sorry. Okay. None of
1: those. What is it? It's uh, Lawrence, Kansas.
2: I've heard of Lawrence, Kansas. Is there isn't there a famous uh, bank robber from there? I think
1: so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure who though. <laughs> okay. But uh yeah, it's like a, an hour away from Kansas City. Okay. And it's uh, just a small little town, but it's like the only kind of liberal part of Kansas that you'll find. Okay. And it's heavily liberal. It's interesting. Yeah, how did all
3: the liberals find that city?
1: I have no idea. I think somebody just claimed it a liberal city, and everybody just kind of conjoined there. You got a, f-
3: a flag in the middle of town that everybody worships. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Cool. Wow. surprised.
1: <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> it's interesting cuz like around here nobody's really enforcing the uh the mask rule or at least in Kansas, but uh in Lawrence, like it's wear a mask or you don't go anywhere. And uh it's kind of interesting to see like a weird little oasis of that. But then when you, if you drive like 10, 15 minutes away, like nobody cares cuz they live on a farm and they're not wearing masks.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: uh well, I'm
2: looking. I'm looking on my phone. Well, sorry, I forgot. The University of Kansas is there. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. that's going to be liberal, right? That
0: explains a lot.
2: Um, you got dinosaur fossils.
1: Uh, Did you know? I didn't
2: know that. <laughs> yeah, at the at the Natural History Museum, at the at the KU Museum, you need to stop in there. Sprawling Baker Wetlands is home to hundreds of bird species. Oh, yeah. That
1: place is beautiful
2: uh clinton state park what do you think about that
1: uh i haven't been there because i only heard about it after the pandemic started so i haven't been yet
2: all
0: right all
2: right well i'm smelling a road trip my (laughs)
0: friends (laughs) so yeah i love it it's on the way to jersey
1: so we could do it
2: i love (laughs) it and i know there were cowboys all through there Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right
1: stop in for some coffee on your way through (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, you know, we will. I
3: I want one of the things that we did talk about was Joey's heritage. It's very unique and interesting. And it, I think it'd be cool if you could if you want to talk a little mm-hmm. bit about. Um, yeah, where you come from?
1: Oh, sure. I'm um, uh, not even a large part, but I'm part Native American. I come from the Ponca tribe. It Played a big part of my life just because my grandma was, like, half Native, and she went to, I don't know if you know about the uh, Native American schools they had around the U.S. during the early 1900s, but uh, most of my families went to that. It was back when they were taken from their tribes and kind of forced to learn how to be farmers and members of uh, the new rising communities, and I think the last one here closed in, like, 78, but yeah... uh, Ponca tribe came from Nebraska was forced down into Oklahoma Uh, if you've ever heard of the case of Standing Bear he was a chief of the Ponca tribe that I think I'm related to but uh, he's the one that got the he fought for the idea for the law to see natives as human beings and due to I think the Standing Bear versus some American general in the uh, late 1800s that's the case that decided in the eyes of the law Natives are human beings and not just, like, property or things to be moved around. And it's mm. kind of interesting just because my tribe is only, I think, only 8,000 people now.
0: Do you
2: attend any gatherings? Or? Um, not
1: anymore. I used to as a kid. My uh, grandma used to sell lots of knickknacks and stuff that a lot of white people would love to buy. <laughs> Little TP, <teepee, laughs> like, lamps and everything. At used to go to powwows, like, at least once a month.
3: He brought in, uh, he brought in, uh, is it called fried bread? Is that what it's?
1: Yeah, it's fried bread. (laughs) Yeah,
3: he brought that in. That was awesome. A
1: native tradition.
3: (laughs) But you said there's only about, I mean, not many left that actually speak the language, right?
1: Oh, yeah. There's only, I think, three elders left that know how to speak Ponca still.
3: I think they have
1: recordings where the Ponca originally came from in Nebraska, at one of their colleges, but anybody that can speak it fluently, I think there's only three elders left, and one of them uh, does the funerals for the Ponca. So, like my grandma, uh, he came to give her her final words, but in Ponca, uh, huh. before we buried her. And it was, uh, I didn't really appreciate at the time, because I think I was like 12. But uh, now when I look back, it's kind of fascinating. But
2: So they were driven from Nebraska to Oklahoma mm-hmm. before, long before you were born. Yep. How did your people end up in Kansas?
1: There's a little town to the north of Oklahoma called Ponca City.
2: That sounds familiar. Yeah,
1: that's where they were driven and eventually where they established. But uh, it's like right there by the Kansas border. From there, like our people kind of just spread out around the area. Hmm. They were driven from Nebraska and told that they had a plot of land in Oklahoma somewhere and they'd find it. But when they got there, that's where they'd driven the, I think, Omaha. So the Ponca didn't even have land to farm. So they kind of just found this uh, plot of land to the north of Oklahoma and settled there. And then I think like 30 years later, they ended up finding oil. And there's a Conoco plant there now. Hmm. And the tribe makes, I think, a good chunk of that money now.
2: Oil and casinos. Yeah, we got a I few of those. <laughs> They deserve all they can get.
3: Yeah. Much more.
2: I was always told that I was part Cherokee. Oh, no. Nice. And I, my father kept a family tree. He was really into family history and all of that. And it would show, you know, a, one of my white ancestors marrying a Cherokee woman with no name on the tree and all of that. And my wife, who's really into genealogy, said, well, you know, a lot of people think they have native american blood and specifically cherokee for some reason mm-hmm. so don't be surprised if we run your genealogy <laughs> and it's not true and sure enough she was right
3: interesting
2: so i think it's part of white guilt yeah. you know, when we say well you know
1: no, it's okay i'm part
3: indian i'm part yeah i'm part i'm pardoned yeah wow
0: I really found that fascinating. So the 23andMe or the Ancestry.com didn't say it, huh?
2: No, I am pure Northern European.
0: So you're not a native, anything?
2: (laughs) No, not a bit. Not a bit. I I definitely have documentation that uh, my uh, ninth great-grandfather was William Bradford. The governor of uh, Mayflower Colony. Oh, he wow. wrote the journal that we get uh, Thanksgiving from What are you
0: doing hanging out with us if you're truly you know that <laughs>
2: Right I should be with uh, I should be over at the Inbred Club <laughs> I contacted the uh, the National uh, Mayflower Society and I said hey Hey, I, I'd like to join, please. And they said uh, you first have to join your local club and show all the all the proof to them. We don't have time or or the inclination to validate your claim. So go local. And that was ten years ago. I haven't I haven't bothered. So
0: there's a local Mayflower Club in Seattle. Uh, I think it's Washington,
2: Washington State, State. I think.
3: My, I yeah. remember my grandma telling us when, I mean, I'm adopted, but uh, the family I was adopted into, it was at birth. And so, you know, uh, their history is mine. And she came and told us, I think I was young, but that our, it was like a great, great grandfather was on the Mayflower as well. His name was William Brewster and he was a pastor, I believe. So...
2: Hey, I am reading the journals of of uh, of oh, yeah. William Bradford, so I will look up William, uh, Brewster. William Brewster. There you I am taking a note right now.
3: <laughs> that's, that's, that's why awesome. we connected so well. Uh,
2: that explains it. I knew there had <laughs> to be a reason. <laughs> a reason. Uh, that's we're why so I wanted to think out with
3: you and do these podcasts to really like dig in. Yeah. and What is
0: it? I
2: you bet. Know, I, sleep yeah.
0: I bet in past lives you both were on the Mayflower. You think so? <laughs> oh my god i'm sure i was making pizza back in the day somewhere because i still love this stuff so i must have learned how to make it somewhere
3: <laughs> <What>?
2: <laughs> isn't it fascinating what um happenstance joins us together mm. you know you could have found some other therapist that would have done great work with you or mediocre work with you and
3: we wouldn't be here right now is that what you're saying
2: Right. I'd be watching T V with my lovely wife.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Joey. Were you gonna say something?
1: Oh, um no. <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. No,
3: so
2: you make a huge difference in your employees' lives. We just heard, don't deny it. Gotcha. <laughs> um, what's next for you? You're a young man, you look to be about thirty.
1: Uh yeah. So I'm a self Proclaimed writer And uh, I helped a friend Get a film project off the ground Recently And uh, I'm working On a comic book project With another friend of mine Yeah
2: Wonderful, can we talk about WandaVision? Mm -hmm. WandaVision, are you watching that? Oh
1: no, I've seen it around I haven't watched it yet Any good?
2: Okay. Uh, I'm not a comic book guy I don't know those two characters, but uh, but I do know uh, '60s television, so it's it's striking a, a nice chord with me.
1: Strangely enough, I'm not well versed in comic books either, just like graphic novels. Uh, so I have no idea about superheroes. I am strangely well versed in '60s television because <laughs> that's what my dad like raised me on.
2: <laughs> so you love Dick Van Dyke, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, I love Lucy.
1: Yeah. That uh, Gilligan's Island. I've watched four
2: episodes. Rest in peace, Marianne.
1: Gilligan's Island's Uh, great. Man, yeah, even watching it now, I'm like, this is still pretty solid.
2: Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, there's depth there, right? We've got the archetypes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, We've got lots of, um, well, lots of neurosis, lots of autonomous complexes. The quest for being rescued is all about individuation all about
1: oh, so Gilligan's <laughs> Island is just a, a metaphorical narrative about the individuation process
2: It would not have been this popular <laughs> if it was just a simple little yarn about abandonment I
1: want to see a Jungian deconstruction of that entire show that's that would be fascinating <laughs>
2: If anybody's up for it, it would be this podcast.
3: (laughs) That's our new weekly shtick.
0: (laughs) I will delegate that to Reed to do that.
2: Oh, yes.
3: Reed, what are you playing with?
2: Oh, is it making a lot (laughs) lot of noise? noise.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Show it. Show me.
2: It's ironic because I have these stainless steel key rings, okay? okay? Now, Reed... You don't have that many keys. Why would you need a new, any new key rings? Well, I'm about repurposing. <laughs> so here's the irony, okay? So I'm not going to turn my laptop around. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll turn my laptop around. But if I do, uh, let me just, if I turn this around, you're going to see my my soundproofing.
3: Mm, okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you.
2: And, and so these beautiful non-woven uh, fiber panels were provided to me by my lovely wife that I mentioned earlier, and they're joined together with zip ties, which I'm not happy with because they can tighten up and cinch up and they don't give me good flex. So I go as I do every day onto Amazon and get new stuff and so that these are the new hinges for my soundproofing. Uh, so now that's irony, that right?
3: That's
1: <laughs> 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 ironic.
0: The stuff that's supposed to not make noise makes noise.
2: Life is funny that way. Well, uh, would you like to tell us about the film project? I'm intrigued.
1: Sure. It's uh, a little film called Idle Hours. My friend Peter O'Neillio went to film school in Colorado, and he decided he wanted to do a feature-length film on his own and with almost no budget. And he'd been working on it for about five or six years, and I was just moving back from Washington. And he was like, hey, you want to help me with this movie? And I was like, eh, sure, I got nothing better going on. It took us like two years to do. Apparently making a feature-length film is fairly difficult, especially when you only have two people. Uh, actors working for free, and no budget. But uh, we managed to get it done, and it's uh, it's an interesting little movie. I had a lot of fun doing it. So, and I even acted in it, which I don't know <laughs> if it's good, but <laughs> we ran out of actors, so I stepped in. Great.
2: What's the theme?
1: It's mostly about uh, the idea of being stuck in a small town, and it covers the narratives of three sets of characters, uh, a girl that is trying to move out but doesn't know what to do with her life, uh, two young boys that—well, they're like 20— that had just gotten out of high school and they're kind of caught up in their own obsessions, like slowly driving themselves crazy. The other one is a guy probably in his mid twenties that is just completely stuck and has kind of given up and is just waiting his way through life. And it kind of switches between these three characters. And my friend, was reading heavily into Jung uh, at the time. The story's kind of all over the place, but it's kind of tethered together by like Jungian symbols and psychology. Wow, and... I really want to see this.
2: Yeah, I, I want to see it.
1: <laughs> I'll send the link. Perfect.
0: Oh, thank
2: you. We just you. put it
1: up on YouTube just because we had no budget. We're just like, ah, let's make it free and <laughs> see if anybody watches it.
2: I will absolutely yeah, watch it soon. please please do that who did you play uh,
1: i played the mid-20 something that's just waiting his way through life hmm. i understood the character pretty well <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to draw on oh yeah <laughs> mostly just a lot of somber walking and uh <laughs> i'm pretty good at that
2: <laughs> all right I will look forward to
1: it.
0: I I look forward to, you know, hopefully you guys get on IMDb and get some credit for it. It's the start of something better.
1: That's the goal. Uh, (laughs) That's kind of what I was pushing him for the project for. I'm like, man, you just got to get your first movie out there and then just see what happens.
2: Where'd you shoot it on?
1: I don't know. He's the technical guy. He has all the equipment. I just uh, helped pay for it and did a little bit of directing, but that's about it.
2: I gotcha. Yeah, we live in a wondrous age. Uh, Back when I was a filmmaker, you know, you needed to rent some um, nice equipment or or shell out for some mini-DV stuff. Uh, Nowadays, iPhones look beautiful.
1: I just saw an ad for an iPhone that has, uh, I think they advertised it for making movies. They did. Yeah. crazy they
2: (laughs) they drop it off a building and everything yeah Yeah, they put
0: it on they tape it to a car and yeah i don't yeah yeah we'll have to see how it really and it's on a fishing pole i think down a stairwell
2: (laughs) (laughs) really if you have ideas and uh, motivation you really don't need budget anymore and friends you got to have friends we don't have to pay for that do we it was that was a short enough it
3: was fine yeah an unrecognizable I, I didn't song I don't know what song
0: that
2: was yeah all right
1: i think legally you get like 5 seconds before <laughs> all right. that's good to know we We're need good. to know that yeah
2: <laughs> yes paul is our uh, concierge he will keep us safe he he kept us safe on our road trips i kept us in jeopardy on our road trips and Jacqueline bridged the gap
3: beautiful that's a lot of metaphor in that <laughs> <laughs>
2: Together we make a, a, one complete person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and we,
3: hey, Joey, what are you writing? Uh, sorry, go ahead. We Paul. We're on the
0: hero's journey because we made it back home. So
1: We went out on an adventure, <laughs> right.
0: just like.
2: Yep. Uh, yeah, Joey, what are you
1: writing? Um, right now, I'm writing a horror Christmas comic that is based on biblical stories and the Twilight Zone. Wow. Right
2: up my alley.
1: That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's only going to be like 50 pages. I think we're about 15 pages done. It's uh, just about father and son in a small town. They have some weird ritual that's going on that can't be, quite be explained until you get through the story.
2: So you're writing. Are, are, are you the illustrator as well? No,
1: I've got a friend that uh, is illustrating. Wonderful. And uh, I'm no good at drawing.
2: <laughs> if you can write, that's enough.
1: But uh, it's going well. Uh, we're hoping to have our website up and the comic up and see if we can get some interest.
2: Oh, we're gonna. We're depending on you for links,
1: yep, sir. I'll send you some. <laughs>
2: okay.
3: Are you? Have you watched uh, some Twilight Zones? To or is it just that um, the idea of the end is kind of an interesting twist, kind of a thing? Oh like? no,
1: I've I've I watch Twilight Zone like religiously. It's uh, one of my favorite TV series of all time. Mine too. This is
2: this is what we used to do on sleepouts, right? Either under the stars or at somebody's house. This would have been 1965, right? Right around there, and we just bounce back favorite episodes mm. back and forth, back and forth. Um, what do you got?
1: Um, the one I watched recently was The Man in the Five Dollar Room.
2: Refresh my memory.
1: (laughs) It's, uh, one where a guy is, like, this spineless kind of mafia goon, and he's hanging out in a room, and, uh, his boss comes in and tells him that he's got to kill some guy, and, uh, he's got, like, three hours, so he ends up in the room, and he sees himself in the mirror, he's talking to himself, but then the mirror starts talking back, and he's like, hey, Quit being a bitch and, like, get your life together. And it's just him talking to himself in this mirror, like, having, like, a weird existential crisis. And uh, it's such a, it's one of the more stage play kind of uh, episodes, but that's kind of why I love it. Because they just use these weird different camera angles to kind of make the room more interesting. Even though it was 60 special effects, the uh, special effects are pretty interesting. Mm. I, uh, I dig it.
2: I'm not sure. I remember that one. What he he decides not to kill the guy. I presume. Right.
1: Yeah. It's uh. Well, it's almost like there's two halves of this guy, and he's arguing with himself. One of them is the coward, and the other one is the courageous man. The uh, the one he, he tells him about all of his missed opportunities and how uh, he avoided them just by not uh, you know believing in himself and stuff. And he uh, eventually the coward has to let go and. Let the Courageous One Take Over. Uh, it's almost a death of one part. Mm. It's a fun story. I think a lot of people get it. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's just really inventive. It's, uh, it was one of the ones that Rod Serling wrote. And those tend mm. to be my favorite episodes. Yeah. Wait, what's one of yours? I got a couple.
2: You Go know, um, when I decided to be a therapist, I was working in a plastic shop. So it's this big kind of warehouse environment where we had table saws and robotic
3: cutting uh, machines.
2: Are you and
1: the one with the uh, robot takeover? The one where the CEO is like replacing everybody with robots? I can't remember the name of that episode. Ooh.
2: Oh, that sounds
1: great. <laughs> That's oh, okay. <laughs> Never mind, because <laughs> I think that was a plastic factory as well. But uh... wow, well,
2: wow! I need to I need to see that. We didn't say CEO back in the '60s, though. We said president, oh, didn't we? Yeah. So we had XM radio in the shop, and we could, while we were uh, working, we could listen to music or whatever, but we could listen to old radio. And so, uh, Twilight Zone was originally a radio program. Mm-hmm. And so, that famous um, Captain Kirk episode, what's, what's that actor's name?
1: William Shatner.
2: William Shatner, right? So, he uh, appeared in the radio version of the, the, the couple who ends up in this little town with a broken down car. And while they're waiting for their car to be repaired, they're in the cafe, in the diner, if you will. And there's this machine. Instead of a, a little jukebox, it's a fortune telling machine. You put in a coin, it tells you your, it tells you something. And he takes it all really seriously. And uh, it develops from there. I I remember not knowing that it was originally a radio show because he was in the that. I think my favorite one is The Monster on the Wing of the Airplane.
0: Yeah. When
2: Shatner's afraid of well, flying.
0: Terror 20,000. something at 20,000 feet, right?
2: Yes, yeah. terror at 20,000 feet. The terror that sounds at right. Something like that. I don't. You know, as a Star Trek fan from 66, I was 11 in 66. I'm I'm a fan of his. So, I'll pick that one, The The guy who believes in the in the fortune teller and by believing in it it all comes true. What
0: was yours, Paul? Uh, so I have a couple of them. Uh, the town called Willoughby, or something like that.
1: Oh, oh man! <laughs> me and my great <laughs> choice. Me and my friends reference that one all the time. Yeah.
0: and the other one. <laughs> next up, Willoughby. <laughs> uh, the other one that sticks out in my mind is "To Serve Man."
3: Next oh, to
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, classic. Yeah,
3: so, Can you guys give us some? Give me some information. I know I've seen a bunch, but I don't remember either one of these.
0: Paul, well. Joe? <laughs> uh,
1: I'll let Paul do it. Well, if I need to step in, I will. <laughs>
0: essentially, um, the Twilight Zone is just this place out beyond, you know, that, that essentially it's beyond the dimensions. And so they just tell different stories. Uh, and it, it's very much paradoxical in a lot of ways where, where things happen. Uh, there's an example of uh, another one, which I can't remember the name of, is there's a beautiful woman, but everyone else looks like a pig. <laughs> And so the beautiful woman feels ugly because everyone else to be pretty you'd have to have this big pig nose. And it's just such a you know, and she's I've
3: seen that one. Okay, so yeah. that's a classic I've one. Seen, no, I know what Twilight Zone is. I'm asking about the Willoughby one. What oh, tell me I, about the storyline. I can't
0: remember that much about it, but I remember, okay, uh, it's a businessman <laughs> who's crap in
2: drudgery. Right? His his life is routine. Every day is the same over and over again. And it's pressure. You know, we think we've improved our lives with the advance of uh, society and technology, but it's just made us, you know, all these conveniences make us work harder, make our lives less meaningful. And he longs for the days. The simple pleasures. When you'd go out to the the center of town, there'd be a umpa band playing in the in the uh, in the fun. gazebo, yeah. and yeah, the barber knows your name, and the kids are rolling hoops along the street. It's, it's the simple life, and so he when he's riding the train to and from work, he's fantasizing about this life, and he finds himself, lo and behold, he really is on. Uh, a 1890s to 1900 train ends up in this little whitewashed town called Willoughby. Yeah, is he really there, or is it in his imagination?
0: Uh, yeah, it's it's a classic. And they, to serve man, basically, uh, everyone wants to go to essentially Mars to live on this great thing. And really, what they've done is made uh, Mars actually populating with essentially earth people but it's really that they're going to eat eat us like we eat cattle and so they're really raising us and they they're they're of course pampering us to get us to go there and the book says to serve man so everyone thinks like they'll do everything to please us when in reality is they're going to just fatten us up and eat us uh it's a cookbook how they're going to cook beans. <laughs> and so it's just and everyone's dying to get there of course because they think you know <laughs> it's such a great place there.
3: yeah
0: anyway
2: and these these writers and I've I listened to podcasts where, where where we have the children of uh of Twilight Zone writers and and producers uh up here. And, you know, all of these writers were in therapy and were students of Jung and Depth Psychology and and uh Joseph Campbell, you know, they weren't you know they weren't uh, writing soap operas they were putting their heart and soul into yeah. these stories that most of us you know didn't appreciate it was timeless that's why we still talk about now we have a new twilight Zone, right that i haven't seen it's on a streaming service i don't have i think
3: and it's okay. called twilight
2: Zone? <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's jason uh, jordan uh, peel right oh, okay it, and what, what service is it on? I need to get it right away. Uh, is it HBO Max? Oh, in that case, I do have it. It's just hard to get my password to work on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. The Twilight Zone. I mean, that is the, that is the metaphor of the, the, the boundary between conscious and right. unconscious
1: gotten a lot of epiphanies off that show and it's strange how a show written like 70 60 70 years ago 60 years ago can be really prevalent nowadays seems to hit the nail on the head
2: same thing with Dostoevsky and Shakespeare, yeah. right? <laughs> True. <laughs> they were like us. It's
1: all a circle.
2: <laughs> in our confusion. So have you yeah. written the whole
3: thing, Joey? Or you said 15 pages are done of it. Do you know the whole concept? How much of it yeah. have you written? Okay.
1: It's uh, it's all written out. It's just translating it into a visual language. So I have, like, the uh, dialogue written out and what the scenes are supposed to look like. But... Uh, it's just going through page by page and, like, actually doing it. And whenever you're actually, like, drawing the pictures and everything, it tends to be a lot different than the script. <laughs> mm. So it's a lot of, like, backtracking. It's been a lot of fun. I never thought I'd be writing comic books, but...
3: Uh, yeah, I really fantastic. like the concept. <laughs> it just sounds really fun, the different dynamics that you've put in there.
1: Great hobby. Yeah.
3: What else?
1: Um, I guess to go back to my therapy... Um, one big thing I learned was the importance of self-education, like wanting and seeking the answers that kind of plagued my mind before I just let it stew and ruminate on all of these like internal doubts and questions and stuff. Like as me and Jacqueline would like change or exchange books and like, uh, articles and stuff, I'd begin to start seeking out other information. And that's where I got into young. I started reading a lot of Joseph Campbell. But I think one psychologist that hit me the hardest and the concept that kind of changed my perspective on everything was a book called Positive Disintegration.
0: Wow, that's a mind-blowing title.
1: Kazmierow Dabrowski? Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, K-A-Z-I-M-I-E-R-Z and Dabrowski. Uh, he was a Polish psychologist around the 50s to 70s. The idea is basically he views mental illnesses not as sicknesses, but as almost growing pains in a way, like they're necessary for development. And uh, his whole theory like ties into the idea of personality development. But uh, in his theory, it's um, we're all born with these two basic parts that make us who we are. It's our... Genetic self or like personality traits we inherit from our parents uh, genetically and then our social self. Like when that genetic self is thrown in society, it kind of morphs us into being morphs us into that personality. But eventually when you hit a crisis, you find that that self doesn't function in that environment anymore. And you have to create a new self. Positive disintegration is about that breakdown of the old self to create the new self. And it's it, it ties a lot into like the individuation process that Jung talks about. But uh, the way Dabrowski goes into it, it's really deep. And like his book, The Positive Disintegration, it's only 100 pages. But like, it takes me like 20 minutes to get through a page just because it's so dense. I'm not really doing it justice by describing yeah, it. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I bet
0: you it's, it, it's a fascinating book. It's just a concept. I definitely believe in what you're saying around that, uh, you know, it's a nature versus nurture, and there's certain crises that help bring out that uh, and take you to the next level. And the things that, you know, you did in childhood that may have served you really well in your family of origin, may not serve you well in your relationship with your spouse or, mm-hmm. or in your work relationship at work, or may not get you to the same level. For example, the same things that make you a great salesperson isn't going to make you a great sales leader Or the same thing that made you a great engineer isn't going to make you the next CEO.
1: Yeah, and it's the whole idea of the disintegration part is recognizing the breakdown. Because, like, whenever I was going through depression and anxiety, it was all this I got to get rid of this. Mm -hmm. Like, this is terrible, and I hate feeling this way. And uh, when I started looking into this book, like, it's like, oh, that stuff's good for you. (laughs) Like, it's not, it's in the state it's in now. It's not because it's uncontrolled and your perspective on it is uh, negative. But whenever you see it in a positive light and you're like, oh, like anxiety is helpful when I know it's being used right. I think traffic is a, a fun example I use a lot. When we're in traffic, we have that like heart pounding anxiety of like, oh, I got to get to that place I'm going like right now. And everybody's is uh, an obstacle in your way. And you start getting mad. And, you know, that uh, adrenaline is pumping. And it's like, oh, that's a negative use of anxiety because your perspective on the situation is kind of skewed from what it really is. And it's like, you know, you could easily shift and be like, oh, you know, I'll get there when I get there, turn some music on and relax. But our minds tend to automatically shift to one of almost victimization or like my expectations aren't being met. So obviously something is wrong. But like positive disintegration, it's like, looking at that anxiety and being able to break it back down or break it down from where we've let it get and being like oh okay so anxiety can be used in a positive way but the way i'm using it here is negative it's almost like integrating these mental illnesses into yourself but in a more positive manner but if you don't learn to integrate them they kind of just go all over the place and becomes unmanageable and that's what throws you into negative disintegration, but I don't know. (laughs) And it's got its own faults and whatever, but, like, whenever I read it, it just kind of forced me to shift perspectives and be like, oh, like, this is only bad because I keep telling myself it's bad. (laughs) And it's like, I I can easily shift my perspective or look at it from a different angle, and it's like, oh, crap, like, this ain't that bad. Or like, oh, I can do something now. Yeah. And... Because I think a lot, the big issue with it before was like I kind of just felt out of control, and it's like once I was able to kind of look at it differently, I was like, oh, like I can't change overnight, but like I kind of know a direction to go now. This idea of like self-education, which I learned with Jacqueline, is like it's something I still do and I still strive to like search for my own answers.
2: Well, if we have integrated the idea that negative emotion is Uh, only destructive we do need to disintegrate that complex within us a fire alarm is really uh, unpleasant and terrible Mm -hmm. so we should eliminate it but it's not the alarm that's the problem it's what it's signaling and so we need to embrace that alarm Mm -hmm. and do something about the underlying cause which is the you know, the fire. Well,
1: what's causing the alarm. Yeah, get yeah well
3: time. said.
2: Exactly. That's why Jung said that uh, symptoms mm-hmm. are good. Mm-hmm. They draw our attention to unresolved internal conflict. Uh, and we're continuously trying to integrate, right? And you can't integrate without disintegration. Because
1: in a way, it's kind of a death of a self or an aspect yeah. of ourselves. And yeah. that's frightening. The
2: sacrifice of the savior.
1: Exactly. To destroy isn't always a negative thing. I mean, we tear down old buildings that aren't used anymore to build new buildings to take its place. Or just like forest fires, too. Like, forest fires will burn down a forest, but that's a necessary process for a new forest to kind of grow and take its place. That's kind of how I began looking at this idea of personality development. It was the death of an old personality, or at least the regression of certain aspects of it so that it could grow in a more controlled or a more it could grow better i guess or more easily
0: creative destruction
1: yeah or even just like trimming a bush like right if once the branches get all tangled together it's like oh they're not growing as cleanly as they can so you start trimming the branches so that they can regrow in a more conducive way
2: That's the essence of resistance in psychotherapy is that uh, fear of death or destruction or transition um, that that prolongs the symptoms. We really have to kill our old self to be reborn into something better. And once we accept that uh, cycle of life, we can move on.
1: The main reason I was going to therapy was because I was dealing with uh, suicidal tendencies and uh, ideation of suicide. It was rough. But like, as I kind of started digging into it more and more, the reason I was kind of trying to kill myself was because I was afraid of death or the unknown of death. And that it felt strangely paradoxical. It, it made me feel like I had a sense of control, which is weird. And, uh, and it only looked weird when I were, whenever I was finally able to kind of see it rather than it just being in the back of my mind. I struggled with the acceptance that death was out there and would come at any moment or maybe years down the line. That scared me more than the death self. And it's like, that's silly. Death is a
0: is a huge thing for many people, including myself. And uh, Yalam's uh, book, Staring to the Sun, is a great book you know, uh, and lots of people have death anxiety and, uh, and so it's a rich, fertile ground that I think almost every human being has. It's just a matter of whether or not they deny it or push it down under, uh, you know, cause there's lots of questions about that.
3: Staring into the sun is a, a book that confronts that.
0: Yes. It's a, it's a book that does that.
2: It's about facing his mother's death and also a group that he a a a a cancer group that he ran.
3: He's got such a kind of a soft way about him that I like. I don't know. I, I inherently kind of trust him and his process with certain things. So I could see a book like that and like I don't know. I I, I can I'm I'm identifying with I guess the unknown sometimes and death and like my own fears with that too. Um, so at times it's something that I kind of just push the side and I do some work around it, just imagery stuff here and there. But, um, it's something that I feel kind of scared about. So I think reading Yalom's book might be a,
0: isn't there a twilight zone about that? A guy who's lived for many thousand years and he's about to marry, or it might be a movie about to marry. Oh, yeah. yeah, and he's about to marry uh, this thing, but he's basically been alive because nothing's ever killed him and basically he says my life has no meaning because it just keeps going on and on and on. What happens?
1: have <laughs> to watch it and find out. Yeah, I would
0: <laughs> I would watch. I do know what I do know what happens, but uh, anyway, he's just lived throughout thousands of years as, you know, different people and he just talks about it and then his life is, you know, he just wants to end it because he's been going on for so long. He's outlived all his friends, all multiple wives. The girl's father uh, sees him in, in a Civil War book and realizes yeah. he was like, like a Confederate general. Oh, and yeah. uh, just can't get over that. And the guy just never ages. He never gets beyond a certain age. And so it's just fascinating.
1: That's a kind of uh, narrative I find that's interesting, is that the person that lives forever kind of loses all perception of what life is because Mm -hmm. once you kind of take death out of things once there's no end it's like well what's what's the point if there's no period at the end or like yeah i've been getting into weird metaphysical books about how we perceive the world through the lens of our mind i think it's just a very human thing to kind of see things that way like having a beginning a middle and an end and if you take away that end what do you have that kind of perspective on death has kind of helped me kind of, I guess, settle into it more or just kind of accept that I don't know when it'll be there. But it's like, eventually, you know, I'll I'll, I'll die. And it's like, that's all right. And strangely, this weird asphyxiation on death and not always like ruminating on it, but knowing that it's always there has kind of helped me live better. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like I was talking about it, like how I talk to people at work all the time about, you know, their own problems and kind of I, I think about it and I'm like, oh, man, like today could be my last day. It's like, how do I want to be remembered today? Or like, oh, how am I going to get everything I can out of this day? I love that. It, it's like holding on, but also letting go where it's like, oh, I kind of do what I can. But at the same time, I'm not going to it's not a YOLO kind of thing. <laughs> where <laughs> I'm just going to go out and get drunk every night and like. Uh, do a bunch of crazy shit. It's more like, this isn't permanent. And it's like, how can I enjoy this to the best of my abilities, but at the same time, like, fall into the ebb and flow of it all.
3: And live in, within your values, too. Like, just to go and yeah. party, like, you're not going to be making the impact that you you do.
1: Yeah, it's uh, kind of like uh, you're bringing up the hero's journey earlier. Um, the idea of the return, and like reintegrating yourself into society. It's like once you've kind of accepted that you'll die one day, it's like, okay, how do I make this better for me, but also the people around me? Like cuz they're in the same boat I am. And it's like mm. I don't know. It's uh kind of coming back with the message or I can't remember what that's called in Campbell's hero's journey, but uh it's essentially like reintegration and then like, you know, telling everybody else what you learned.
0: There's a thing about, you know, people say, you know, YOLO, you only live once. Well, actually, <laughs> actually, actually, you live every day. You only actually only die once. And so it's a different way of thinking about it. So live every day and know that you're only going to die once. So be authentic. and. Well, we're running low on time and I want to honor uh, our commitment to everyone as far as getting back to their other priorities in life. So definitely appreciate you coming on tonight. I think you shared an incredible amount of stuff. And so thank you for that.
3: Yeah, thank you. It's so been so good to see you and talk to you again. Yes, nice to see you again. <laughs> Glad you got to meet my buddies, too.
2: Absolutely. Don't be surprised if we roll up <laughs> for
1: breakfast. <laughs> Well, if you ever end up in Lawrence, pop in and Perkins, and I'll get you a coffee for free.
0: <laughs> I, defi- I definitely uh, enj- enjoy road tripping with these two. They bring joy to my life.
1: Hmm. Oh.
3: Yeah. I hadn't heard Perkins since college. There was a Perkins in our college hometown, so. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's in every college hometown. Yeah. It's, it should be. It's good, it's good quality food. Uh,
2: Let's keep in touch. Yeah. We'll be looking for links, yeah, I'll send brother. Some,
0: I'll send some links. Yes, definitely. <laughs> all right. Uh, and I, I hope the movie, the comic book, and all your writing takes off.
3: Oh, thanks.
0: <laughs> thanks
2: so much for coming on.
3: All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Thanks.
1: Bye. Another episode for the books. Have you watched Twilight Zone? I've seen a few episodes, but not any they were discussing. I'll have to check them out. Check out Living Room Therapy social medias for links to Joey's movie on YouTube. See you next time. I'm going out with my heart burning and loving to my final day.
0: What is this life for? What
1: is this life for? What is this life for in hey, Do I get to take this love and bring it with me when I die? If I'm a champion or a failure, did it?
0: About the things I've done With all my living days Seems like something from
3: a movie What's this life for anyway? What
1: is this life
3: for?